One night I flew into DFW airport pretty late and I jumped on the parking spot bus to go get my car. Uh, because it was so late, there was only one other passenger on the bus with me, a guy who told me that he was returning from a business trip. And we got to talking, you know, how you just sort of make small talk with people in those kinds of situations. And then the inevitable question came up. He asked me, what do you do? And at that time, I was in seminary, so I told him I'm in seminary at SMU. And he said, hmm, so you're studying about Jesus and God and all that stuff. And I said, yes. And he said, I don't really know much about religion. What do you believe about all that? And all of a sudden, I'm sweating. My heart is pounding. I got on the bus, a fairly normal person. I've turned into Elmer Fudd. I can't put two words together. I don't know what to say to this man. I feel so much pressure. I think, should I quote John 3.16, for God so loved the world? And if I do that, will he even understand what I'm talking about? Or I don't know, should I start with the cross and kind of go through the crucifixion and the resurrection? And is that something that I can really explain to somebody on the parking spot bus in the middle of the night during a five-minute ride? Or should I go all the way back to the beginning and, and say, God is the creator, or God is good, or God is love, and if I do that, will it be enough? What I ended up doing was sort of hemming and hawing around and not saying anything, um, I think, especially coherent. And then the bus pulled up to his car, and he got off, and the moment passed. Friends, I returned to that moment in my mind probably a thousand times. Sometimes I'd relive the conversation. You know how you do that? So in that fantasy version, I'd end up giving a very eloquent speech, ending with the man saying to me, thank you, you've changed my life. But most of the time, I just wondered, I wondered what should I have said and how could I have said it? Was there some exactly right answer, some perfect answer, and yet somehow I just missed it. Well, friends, in our text this morning, it's not a guy on the parking spot bus in the middle of the night, but Jesus himself who asked the million-dollar question, and he asked it of the disciples. He starts out easy. He asks, well, you know, who do other people say that I am? Now, I've I think they aren't worried about this answer because they've heard what people are saying about him. So they say, well, you know, some people say John the Baptist and others Elijah and still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then they sit back and I can just imagine them waiting for him to tell them which one of those he is, but instead he turns the question back on them who do you say that I am? What do you believe? Can't you just imagine the scene in your mind, friends? Talk about pressure. Here is Christ saying, who do you say that I am? What do you believe? I, I can just see the disciples sort of standing there like deer in the headlights or maybe some of them are 
preparing to tell them that they've got to go, they hear their mother calling. I mean, the pressure. They just want to come up with exactly the right answer, and we have no idea how long they stand there, but I imagine it's a long time, and the tension builds and builds and builds, and just when you think nobody's going to answer him, Peter just blurts it out. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's just like Peter, isn't it? Throughout the Gospels, we see that Peter tends to be impulsive. He's often the first to jump in, you know, the first to try things. He was the first to put down his net and follow Jesus. And, and remember, he was the one, the first one, the only one, to get out of the boat and try to walk out onto the water and meet Jesus. Remember that story? All the rest of the disciples hang back. But Peter, he just gets out of that boat and tries to walk and meet Christ right out there on the waves. So I don't think it's really that surprising that while everybody else is hanging about trying to come up with the exact right answer for Jesus, Peter just wades in and rests. You are the Messiah the Son of the living God. And lo and behold, this is what Jesus is looking for because He says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and you will hold the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That is high praise from Christ. And Given all of that, maybe we're tempted to think that the takeaway from this text, you know, the learning nugget, is that it pleases Jesus if we have an elevator speech memorized about our faith that we can just sort of whip out at a moment's notice. Y'all know what an elevator speech is, right? It's an old salesman's term. A long time ago, they used to teach young salesmen that you needed to have just a very short nugget memorized about your product that you could pull out at the drop of a hat and cover in a minute or less than the time that it took somebody to ride an elevator with you. What do you sell? Well, let me tell you, I can cover it in 60 seconds. But friends, although that's tempting, I don't think the lesson here is about having an elevator speech about your faith at the ready. I don't think Jesus is interested in plastic, memorized witness. I mean, it is true that Jesus says that Peter is blessed, but not because Peter knew the answer on his own. In fact, Jesus says he only knows it because God gave it to him. So, if the lesson here isn't, you know, that uh, you got to have the perfect answer at the ready, you got to have the elevator speech, well, then what is it? What is the lesson here? Well, it gets even more complicated because just a few sentences later, Peter, the designated keeper of the keys, is called Satan by Jesus after he argues with him about what will happen in Jerusalem. So, good grief. I mean, one minute he's the rock upon which the church will be built, and the next minute Peter is a stumbling block for Christ. What kind of example is Peter? What are we supposed to learn from all of this? What is our takeaway? Well, I guess the best that could be said about Peter is he is willing to risk. He is willing to try when everybody else hangs back. He's ready to speak up and say what he believes. 
Friends, I think that's it, actually. I think that's it. I think this is why Jesus calls Peter the rock upon which the church will be built, why he says that Peter is the designated keeper of the keys, not because he does everything perfectly, not because he knows the exact right answer, not because he has an elevator speech memorized, but because he loves Jesus so much that when everybody else hangs back trying to cobble together exactly the right phrasing, he just wades in and risks and says it. He's willing to put himself out there to try to bear witness to the best of his ability. And friends, do you see this goes to the very heart of evangelism? It goes to the heart of it. Evangelism is the church's traditional word for sharing the good news of Jesus, telling others about Jesus and his love, the hope we know in him. It's one of the most basic practices of Christian people to engage in evangelism, to be an evangelist. Because you see, we can't just hold the good news to ourselves like it's our own personal gift. When we know something so good, we're called to share it with other people. That's why when you join this church, you, you promise to support it with your prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. Witness means evangelism. It means all of us promise, covenant with the church that we will share the love of Jesus with other people. We will tell others about Christ. But I, I got to tell you, I, I've lost track of the number of people over the years who told me they lack confidence when it comes to sharing their faith because they just don't think they're going to get it right. They're afraid they'll say something, it'll be awkward. Or they don't, don't think they have all the answers, you know. They, they feel like, Evangelism requires you to be a trained theologian, a, a Billy Graham of sorts. But friends, look at Peter. When it comes to evangelism, Jesus doesn't ask us for perfection. He just asks us to try, and there's great power in that. This last week, I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with a young man who became a Christian as an adult, which is somewhat unusual. He did that after years of confusion and great personal pain in his life, and even a short stint as a committed and argumentative atheist. He is brilliant, very smart, a voracious reader, a questioner. He's the kind of person that you would think would require a Billy Graham to argue him into the Christian faith, but that is not how he became a Christian person. Actually, he became a Christian because of his relationship with a coworker, a man at his office, a Christian man who was caring, patient, authentic, and non-judgmental. They became friends, and this man was honest about his own struggles. He didn't pretend to be a perfect person. He didn't drop any tracks on this young man's desk or accuse him of anything or threaten him with anything. No, he just waited until there was an appropriate moment, and he would share simply from his heart about his church, why he loved to go there, what the church was doing. 
how he tried to help people because he was a Christian person, and what Jesus meant to him, how being in relationship with Christ had enriched his life. That's it. No complex theological arguments. He just didn't seem worried about trying to say the perfect thing at the perfect time. He was just willing to try to do his best. And because he did, this young man's life was transformed. As he came into relationship with Jesus, and it made everything new for him. See, friends, I think this is the lesson of Peter. Because, well, if he's the rock, then there's hope for all of us. When it comes to evangelism, Jesus doesn't ask for perfection. He just asks us to try. And if we get it wrong, if we mess it up, that's okay. He always forgives, and there's always another time. He'd rather have us try, try to bear witness to His love, try to share the hope that we know in Him than to hang back worried all the time that we're not going to say exactly the right thing, then we won't be perfect somehow. Oh my goodness, after all, look at Peter. He messed plenty up, but he did turn out to be the rock upon which the church was built. So, my friends, if you are on the parking spot bus in the middle of the night and a man says to you, well, what do you believe about all that? Relax. Jesus is with you. You got this. Like Peter, you're a rock. Let's pray. Most loving God, we give you thanks, for you offer us the hope of salvation, the reality of grace, and Lord, we, we know that, that we should share that, and we want to give us the confidence, like Peter, to just step out and try to simply state what we know about you and trust that that will be more than enough. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.